You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. How is everyone today? Ryan, how are you? I am A-OK. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right, man. I'm, uh, I've been exercising more and I've noticed my anxiety has gone down a little bit. Funny how that happens, isn't it? Isn't it? We just talk and preach and bullshit. And then once you actually do it, you see, oh, well, I notice a little difference. Even if it's a small difference, it's a freaking difference, man. Oh, yeah. You see these things at the bottom of my legs. If I move those around a lot. Then those, uh, yeah, yeah the, the things you need to put feet. the feet, the feet, feet, feet. Yeah, if you sort of move those up and down, yep, and around and outside, your heartbeat starts to go up. It's crazy. It's, it's amazing, guys. I hope you're uh, taking care of yourselves. I hope you're. Uh, thanks for listening, whether you're in your car or you're at home or whatever. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, John Wesley Ship coming up. Great guest. You know him from The Flash. You know him from Dawson's Creek. He talks about his relationship with Mark Hamill. He talks about, um, I mean, just anxiety, life. He was very uh, open. And I love when the guests are open. You guys always write me and say, God, they were so open. And I love how you know, you're know you able to open guests up. And you, they just either want to or not. And uh, he seemed to open up quite a bit. And uh, it was effective. It, it helped me. Um, if you're liking the podcast, I urge you to uh, spread the word, help the podcast out. Um, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram and Facebook is at Inside of You Podcast and at Inside of You Pod on the Twitter. And it's right here. You can see it. See that? And um, what else? Um, you could watch on YouTube, but subscribe, write a review. It helps the show out and spread the word. Um, really, my patrons are the saviors of this podcast. So if you want to join Patreon and help the podcast in other ways, keep it rocking. Go to patreon.com slash inside. I'll send you a message right after. Inside of you. Oh, inside of you. Patreon.com slash inside of you. That's right. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Patreon. It's like a family. You'll see it. It's There's like a lot of perks and, and tears and um, things that you could do and to help the podcast in other ways. Patreon.com slash inside of you. Um, and if you want any merch, Band merch is at sunspin.com. You could also Zoom me. Um, I'm on Cameo. And uh, also, uh, if you want any merch from the Inside of You store, like Lex Luthor stuff, small box, lunch, small of the lunch boxes, uh, Inside of You store, online, Inside of You online store, you can go there. Um, anything else, Ryan, going on in your life? Uh, Just busy? You know well, I got back from a, I oh, you a, were a bachelor, I, I was party. A bachelor party in San Diego. Was, did you get drunk? Uh, yeah. Was it fun? It was a lot of fun. And you didn't pass out or anything? I time. didn't pass out. No, uh, there. Uh, the The group was, uh, you know, it was it was like a, a, an array of this guy's friends from like high school all the way to like professional. So it was like it ran the gamut of 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 dude. Right. Uh, so it was fun. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. man. that's yeah. good. Because last time you had a seizure. I had a seizure on a beach and I ruined a bachelor party. This time I didn't. I was not the one who ruined the bachelor party. That was somebody else. Well, I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad the. Uh, but actually, it wasn't ruined. It was. We we all had a good time. But right, yeah. except you. I had no. I had a miserable time. Yeah, you, you felt like you ruined everything. <laughs> That's right. But uh, I'm glad you had a good time this weekend. That's I did good. have a good it's, time. It's good to get away, isn't it? It was so weird to be around people I and know. have conversations and. Um, but yeah, we were all we were all vaxxed and we all kept it within the group. Like we had a house and we did a we did a brewery tour on a bus. Jeez, and, um, that sounds like fun. We, did, and we went on a boat too. That was fun. Really? Yeah. I need to take Dramamine when I get on a boat, just so I don't get little motion sickness. This was all right. Uh, all right. Just cruising around the San Diego Bay for three hours. Sounds delightful. It was. San Diego is beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you had fun, man. Hey, everybody! Thanks for coming to Lexington Comic Con. I had a blast. Tom Welling and I had a blast. We did Smallville Nights. It was 
hilarious and fun. If you ever get a chance to do Smallville Nights, I'm doing one in West Virginia on September 24th. I'll be there um, rocking the Mountaineer Comic-Con. And uh, get your tickets. It's going to be a lot of people there. I'm doing a one-man show for Smallville Nights. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of freaking laughs. Okay. Let's get into this. Uh, John Wesley Ship. Uh, this is a really fun interview. I hope you enjoy it. I know I did. Let's get inside of John Wesley Ship. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Hey, good looking. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay, I guess. <laughs> you guess? Where are you? I'm in New York. You're in New York. You live in New York. Yeah, I live in New York. Really? And uh, hold on. I've got like messages coming in and it's blocking my audio. Uh, did you say where? Yeah. Oh, uh, Long Island City. That's like uh, we see if you can see the reflection in the picture behind me. That so we got a view of this east side skyline of Manhattan. Wow! From the Queensboro Bridge all the way down to I call it Fuck You Tower. It's, <laughs> they call it Freedom Tower. It looks like a big right down. At the, they replaced the World Trade Towers with perfect. I love, I love, did you uh, did you just get tired of L.A.? Was L.A. something you were just like, I had enough of it? I started my career in New York. I was at Indiana University actually on an opera theater scholarship. In the opera? Yeah, baby. I started taking piano at four. My first piano teacher taught me the a uh, alphabet so she could teach me how to play the piano. And then I was an opera theater major and I switched my major to theater, dropped out, moved to New York in the late seventies before you were born. And then, uh, and then I was born in 72. Uh, thank you. Oh, you were. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that young. Well, to me, you are. Well, you look to good. Me, so who cares? You know, I've gone through various phases, you know, of looking like, Someone actually wrote me on social media once and they said, you didn't age well, sad. What? And I wrote back and I said, depending on when you caught me, you're absolutely right. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> I've had my scary periods and one was when I did Teen Wolf, but that Teen Wolf dad was such a friggin' psycho and I was in a very dark period, but I looked terrible, but it worked. Right. You know? But luckily I clawed your way I back. Clawed my way back. Hey, so you know, we have we have a segment we start out with guests now. We're just trying this. It's kind of a mental health check, and it's just called How You Doing? And it's just sort of like at this moment in time, with all the work you're doing and everything, and just life in general, just it's just kind of a check-in. How you doing? You know, I have to say, and without sugarcoating it, that you know, I'm on one hand kind of amazed that I'm still alive. You know? Really? <laughs> and um, well, I've gone through, and nobody knows. Nobody. I mean, it amazes me that nobody. But I've gone through my dark periods. You know, uh, in the mostly in the 2000s, right after I got off Dawson's Creek. But um, you know, I mean, a year of quarantine, a year of having. One play canceled uh, in Greenwich. Another play 
that we were workshopping to bring Broadway with producers about Henry Fonda and Jimmy Stewart. I had an, a Hallmark movie, an episode of a TV show, and eight personal appearances wiped off the board. I'm not whining because I have friends who do almost strictly theater, and they were wiped out. I mean, they're still hurting really bad, you sure, know? So yeah. I was able to go back to work February 2021 and do an episode, take my Jay Garrick to uh, Stargirl. Wow. And, uh, and then I just got back from six weeks in uh, Vancouver doing the last two episodes of season, season seven for Flash. You asked me how I'm doing, and in typical fashion, I'm telling you what I'm doing. How I'm doing is I'm pretty damn grateful. That's the way to be. Huh? That's that's what you, you got to be. I'm learning. I'm learning gratitude. I, the more I, no matter what, at the end of the day, I just before I close my eyes and it helps me sleep that I just start to think about what I'm grateful for. It's just weird how that works. Instead of getting in these dark dreams or these thoughts, I just go, you know what? Hey, stop, stop. What are you grateful for? And I start naming things. I put my grandma's face in my head and then I go to bed and it's just, it, I sleep better. Yeah, I have a friend, a good friend who's an actor, and you know how we are. I, I'm this way. I, I would bet you are. It's that, you know, who's on a series, and he'll look at it, and he'll hate everything he did. And he'll be telling his wife, God, I hate this. I didn't do this. I don't like it. And then she'll stop him. He just told me this. He'll, she'll stop him and say, okay, now tell me five things that you like about yourself and that that's she won't let him go to sleep on that negativity wow. tearing tearing himself down do, do, do you get like that are you someone who tears yourself down or, or maybe that's something that was in your past are you are you really hard on yourself i find that the longer i wait between the time i did something and when i watch it if I, when I watch it and I do, you know, I can't stop, but I'm almost invariably, I've learned to manage it. But I remember when I did NYPD Blue and it was such a big departure from anything I had ever done. First season of NYPD Blue, the two episodes is the drug addicted cop. And uh, I know what I intended. Now it ended up being incredibly received and incredibly reviewed. But when I saw it, I was in LA and I got so up set i jumped in the car and i drove to uh it was either idlewild or lake arrowhead and just stayed in a motel i was so disappointed and freaked out wow. and it wasn't what i intended and i still do that like i'll watch whether it's recently a hallmark movie or an episode of the flash i'll watch it and i'll hate the way i look i, I didn't accomplish if i wait i forget what i intended Right, and I can appreciate what I did. That, yeah, that's got to be that's got to be really tough to to. Well, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm really hard on myself too. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at oh, I like, eh. and I started to. I mean, look, you don't ever let that go. I don't care who you are. People say, oh, come on, you you, you got to let it go. You got to, you know, it, it's it's. My friends will give me shit about that, but I I try not to watch things right away like you said give it some time and then i actually can go back now i hadn't seen an episode of smallville in years and i saw an old episode that was like on it was a hulu i go oh oh my you know why the hell not and i go 
I used to think you looked so terrible bald and you looked like shit. And hate it. And now I'm like, dude, you actually look all right. To be 10 years younger. To be Absolutely. 10 years younger. And watch you it later. Go back. You have to go back and watch your scenes with Glover and go, <laughs> that is damn good TV. You have to. You have to say that is smoking. I, I can notice nuances, moments when I, when I, and that goes for my whole acting career, moments where you go, oh, you really let go. You were in that moment. You weren't thinking about looking cool. You weren't thinking about saying it a certain way. You were just being, and that's a rarity. But when I see that, I kind of, I, 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 I give a small applause to, to myself inside, yep. but that's rare. I don't do that a lot. Could you imagine if I'm lucky. constantly, if I'm just sitting there watching myself? Oh Yeah. Like, you're terrific <laughs> you know it was very funny when we did the the pilot for flash when they asked me to come back as harry henry allen you know uh barry's father wrongly convicted of killing his mother in front of a 10 year old barry you know mm -hmm. which was not my origin story in 1990 right Warner brothers for cbs at all so that was just a role i would want to do whether i had never been Barry Allen or not, but having been Barry Allen, it brought those things together. You know, it's like you talk about being in the moment, being close to who you really are, because it was a unique situation. I was playing his father. I had done this role. He knew I had played the role. I knew what he was taking on, maybe what some of his hopes and dreams and insecurities might be. And so there were times in those beautifully written scenes between Henry and Barry uh, in the, in the uh, prison in Iron Heights that, you know, I didn't know if Henry was talking to Barry or if old flash was talking to new flash or if John was talking to Grant. And when those things all come together, wow. yeah, it's, it's really then the, those scenes I can watch and go, they will always be among my favorite. That's great. That's a great feeling, too. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here. Have been using it for a while, and I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session, of course, yeah, yeah. It's just it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up, and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small, and at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today 
to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got Rocket Money. <laughs> okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Do you, do you look back and think, God, you know, if we had the producers or the just the knowledge we have now and, the, you know, if we had different producers or designers or whatever it is for the flash of 1990 when you were there, this could have been something big. And, and, and also, how did you deal with that disappointment if it only lasted a year, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we had it all. We were the most expensive show Warner Brothers had ever done for television oh, wow. at that point. It was a high-tech suit designed by Oscar winner, you know, Bob Short and built. Um, and our writing was great. Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo were excellent. I mean, we had uh, Howard Chaikin uh, as a story editor. We had, uh, I, I don't even want to start naming because we had so many Right. Great and talented people. And we were nominated for an Emmy for art direction. Right. When we did a big lot premiere on the back lot for the international press, our reviews were through the roof. I mean, Washington Post, New York Times, I mean, the big Louisville Courier Journal, you know, wow. and they talked about the acting and they talked about the art direction and they talked about at the time state of the art effects right. for television. And so 
we were a creative and industry hit. Now, it was the hardest thing I have ever done. I mean, we would start at 7 a.m. Monday morning and work till 10 or 11 at night, come in 10 and 11 at Tuesday and uh, work till 2 in the afternoon on Wednesday, come in at 2. And so by Wednesday or Thursday, we were shooting all night. By Saturday, we were blacking in the back lot at Warner Brothers to shoot day for night. And then we were back in at 7 a.m. Monday morning. Um, and you're in everything. We, you're in every day. You're, I mean, you're the flash. I mean, our transportation department, whenever I thought I had it bad, I'd look at, you know, the fact that they were they were having 25, 26 hour days. I mean, our overtime was through the roof and we were already budgeted. Um, so at, by the time we did that through the third week in August, through the second week in May, with five days off for four days off for Christmas. And that was it wow. because we had to do mostly live action, practical effects. We didn't have the CGI capability then that we have now. And so it was hours and hours and hours. And Danny and Paul were uncompromising. They wanted to do the show that they wanted to see. And so I can look at it today and I can appreciate, I can appreciate the fact that the technology has come. It's 30 years later, one would hope. And I think what I was saying, I think what I meant to say was, why didn't the stars align for that project? And now that hearing you say all this, you know, all you had all these great components of it. So why didn't it succeed? Has to be even more disappointing now. You're like, you know, it just was. It was revered. It was all these things. So what was it? Well, it was a combination of things. I think number one, it was thirty years ago. Putting on a superhero costume in 1990 was very different from putting on a superhero costume in 2014 when the new cw show we were like i was hesitant to even audition for it because i had been on broadway in new york i had my two daytime emmys i had you know i had fashioned myself a, a, a series and i thought only superhero reference i had was being spoofed at that point and i just didn't think that that was where my talent lay and then april webster who i'm sure you know multiple emmy award-winning casting director said john just read the script that's all i ask and then i i read it and there were all these human values there was the unblessed son of a cop family in which real cops work the streets but i had gone into the crime lab so that my mom didn't have to worry that all of her men might not come home that night. My older brother was the street cop who my dad loved, and my dad was always putting me down. So Myberry was the unblessed son, you know, in the family who gets these superpowers, and his first reaction is, I don't want to know from this. I have no uh, desire to be a hero. I have no pretensions to be a hero. I have settled for my lot in life, and that's the deal, until his brother's killed. And then it's like, okay, it's on. And then he has all this ability that he knows his dad, it would make his dad so proud, but he can't tell him. So there was all, I'm starting to feel it, you know, by about that point. Right. And then they promised me, we will not put you in a pair of red tights. I came to kind of regret that later because that suit was so hot. It was, I'd be in it for 20 minutes and you could ring me out. But I don't want to, you know, the last thing people want to hear is those of us who've been fortunate enough to play these 
iconic characters to <laughs> yeah. sit around and whine about our suits. Right, you know right, I mean? right. But uh, there were there were challenges, you know. But I think it was it was a couple things. CBS had the oldest demographic, right? So all of our in-house advertising did not reach our target audience. Number two, they were too confident given our reviews from the preview that we did during the summer. So they're pouring so money they, into this. They're pouring money into this. And they threw us into their most difficult time slot opposite Cosby and the Simpsons at their peak in 1990. Wow. And then even so we held a decent third place and CBS said, if you can hold those numbers, in fact, the reviews were uh, the, the write-ups in the paper was flash lifts CBS to strong ratings week, even though we were third in our time slot. Um, but then we were off for baseball world series for two weeks and then we were back on and then we were off for the Gulf war. Mm. Then they moved us to the half hour, uh, an hour show on the half hour has never worked in the history of television. Then they moved our night. It was kind of good news, bad news in May when I had flown back to New York, I last seen with Mark Hamill five in the morning, we're trying to get the last shot as the sun was coming up. They yell, cut. I rip the wings off and throw them in the air and swear I'll never get into another superhero suit as long as I live. You know, so it's kind of the bad. The bad news is the Flash isn't going a second season. The good news is the Flash isn't going a second season. It was <laughs> yeah. just I would be standing under the shower at six o'clock, not knowing whether it was a.m. or p.m. I mean, it took us nine. You're going crazy. You're going crazy. Going crazy. Isn't that amazing how fast the body and the mind can just deteriorate? I mean, you probably didn't have any time to exercise, really. You're trying to, you know, and you're just physically, mentally exhausted. And that's where you start, you realize, I can't do this anymore. So it's a blessing in disguise. It Like, you got good reviews. You did this show. Uh, and it just, it was killing you in a way. And you're, like, sort of relieved. Yeah, there was definitely an element of relief. Although I realized going into second season... I had already, after the first several episodes, set some ground rules as far as the first day of the shooting the series. I think I was in the suit for 12 hours. And then at two in the morning, they pulled me out of the suit for me to do the Barry Allen scenes. Well, I'm fried by that point, you know. And then at times they would go, Barry Flash, Barry Flash. Ooh. So they would glue it on. They'd take it off with acetone. they put on makeup. they take the makeup off. they put the glue back on. You look you like know? shit. You had to look like shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, broke out in a rash. Oh. So we had to lay down some ground rules. Do the Barry scenes first, then do the Flash scenes. If you have to, yeah. do the Flash scenes and then the Barry. But we don't go Flash, Barry, Flash, Barry, Flash, Barry. Um, <laughs> wow. And I would have been able to make some more requests going into a second season right. just to preserve myself. I had an awesome, oh, I always mention Dane Farwell. He was my stunt double, and he was as much the Flash as I was. Right. I was Barry Allen, but Dane was a rock, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I went to uh, back to New York, and I did Dancing at Lunasa on Broadway. It won the Tony's Best Play. I went in with the American cast, and Howard Stringer at Corporate CBS was at the Tony Awards, and he came up and introduced himself to me and apologized for how badly they had mishandled the show. Wow. I mean, when you look back, I mean, you've done, I mean, you, you studied opera. I still can't believe it. If I said, La Don, I'm Obelay, what would you say? 
I would say, well, first of all, I think of Pavarotti. It's a tenor aria. And I can't remember exactly what opera it's from, but it's uh, it's a tenor aria and Pavarotti made it famous. Can you like, jump hey, into it? Can you jump into that voice whenever you want? Is it something you can just jump into? Not so much now. I mean, there are certain things that happen physiologically. Right, right, right. if you're not practicing every day. It's a muscle. What, what, what used to be a spin is now a wide wobble. Right. I mean, we all hear that. In, it happens in every voice, you know? Yeah. And so... You know, whereas I used to sing constantly and I would do recitals and we do studio recitals and I keep it for myself. But now I, I don't it's it's becoming so hard to even just practice for my own satisfaction because it's physiologically just gotten so difficult. Yeah, I, I always admire people who have done soap operas because and you've won awards because to me. It's something I could not do. To me, it seems like the hardest thing in the world. You have to memorize 20, 30 pages a day. And I don't, I, it, it terrifies me. It terrifies me, the thought of doing that. And I know James Franco got on a soap and he wanted to do it. And he really, you know, put everything into it. But was it, did you find, did you like doing soaps? Or did, were, were you, uh, it was an, ex an exhausting thing to do. It wasn't exhausting. Of course, I was 24. You know, it's like when I was on Guiding Light, 25. And uh, no, it wasn't exhausting. And I listened to the people who had been on a long time, who had a method for dealing with it. You read the script, you take all of your scenes out, you put them in chronological order, then you look at the week's work and you budget out, okay, I have to do this scene, you know, these, oh, no, 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 because you do an episode a day. And then you do four or five episodes that week. And the night before you study your week's work, if you're lucky enough to have the scripts that far in advance. And then the night before you work on the script for the next day, what was tough was for four months while I was doing dancing at Lunasa eight times a week on Broadway, I was playing this crazy character on all my children at the same time who was peeking out at 30, 40 pages. Wait a minute. As dialogue. you're doing Broadway, you're also doing the soap at the same time. I would go to ABC at seven in the morning and I'd shoot all day, except on matinee days. I'd shoot until there'd be a car to take me to do the matinee. They'd take me back to ABC. I'd shoot in the afternoon and they'd take me back to do the evening performance. It was one of, and then I do the performance. I'd go home and I tweak all my lines. And I'd say, well, how about this? How about, it was one of the most energetic, energizing times of my life. And wow. I ended up hemorrhaging a vocal cord, you know, at the end of that. Um, but it was very exciting. That character, interestingly enough, Carter Jones and all my children served as the basis of a thesis at a major university on my character was very violent, very misogynistic and abusive toward women. And how at the same time, there was a fascination with that character and a repulsion, you know, and the intersection of those two things. Um, I couldn't believe what we were doing on daytime TV then. We'd never be able, they'd never be able to do it now. Even when I went back to play Eddie Ford in 2010 on One Life to Live, it was great fun, but I mean, I couldn't even believe what we were saying. You know, pansy ass boys, you're a bitch of a mother. You're all this on daytime wow. TV. You know, yeah, um, that's crazy. Do you do you ever get 
I mean, do you ever get stressed in terms of do you ever get anxiety or, or with work or always trying to be great or proving yourself? Do you think that sort of never ends? Is that something you've dealt with in your career or have you, you know, never really dealt with things, a lot of anxiety? No, it's sometimes I wonder why you always, cause it's, you move from anxiety. I will talk about myself, move from anxiety to anxiety. There's a period when you don't have a part, the anxiety is, am I going to get an audition? <laughs> then you get an audition, the anxiety, am I going to do well? And then the anxiety of, did I get the part? You have five minutes of an, I got the part and then anxiety. Right. Now I have is to it do going it. To right. be, Cause you're all, you're always, you know, it's one reason I moved back to New York. You're always as good as your next, next project. Right. Well, what are you doing next? You know, it's like, how about if I do this right now? Yeah. How about if I talk to Michael? <laughs> be right present, now? be present. Damn it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but there's, but you know, I remember in those wonderful letters from Martha Graham to Agnes DeMille, where one of them says to the other, there's never any satisfaction whatsoever at any time. There's only a sort of divine queer dissatisfaction. That's so sad. <laughs> yeah. And a sense that there's a life force moving through us that maybe propels us to walk, I'm paraphrasing now horribly, at a pace maybe faster than the others right. as an artist, you know. But yeah. Do you enjoy I can relate to them? Do you enjoy honestly being on the set of the the Flash and and playing these characters and working with Grant and Tom and all these other people? Do you have an actual good time? Is it a time in your life that you're like, I'm really enjoying this. I'm enjoying going to work. I like the character I'm playing. I like what I'm doing. I like being on the show. Is is that how you feel? Yeah. Yeah, it is mostly, particularly, but then I was mostly just working with Grant and I knew with him playing the son who was the only one that believed that his father was innocent and me being in prison, it would carve out a very special relationship for us in the middle of an action adventure right at the amusement park. You know, the lights go down, the music hushes, we walk into the phone booth, we pick up the phones, we can't do our business. We're sitting there. All we can do is memorize the words, look at each other, make a connection and tell the truth, you know, and those were wonderful. And I enjoyed it while I was doing it. I appreciated it pretty soon after we did it. Grant was very funny because I saw him at the upfronts in New York and he had seen the pilot and I had, and he was like, man, have you seen the pilot? Did you see our scene? You know, the big scene with the hand on the glass and the, you know, the father son moment. And I said, no, as it is, it, how is it? He said, man, I was sitting there going, you can't cry. You can't cry on your own scene. It's so <laughs> uncool to cry at your own scene. <laughs> so Grant wanted to cry after watching it. Did you, did you, when you he watched it, it going, did you, did you cry when you watched it? I don't remember, but I remember being moved. They did something really interesting uh, to get me on the edge of my emotions, David Nutter, director, Andrew Kreisberg, oh, Jeff Nutter. Johns, uh, Greg Berlanti. We went in to do that scene in the prison and David came up to me and said, we've written some lines that we didn't want you to see or hear until for Grant, until this moment. And it's my shot. So don't come in on your cue. Don't kill, come in until he says the words, whatever it was, I love you, dad. 
And I'm sitting there. Well, see, now I'm really listening. You know, Meisner would have been so pleased. I was <laughs> riveted. You know, yeah. what's he going to say? And he gets to the part where he says, you remember when you told me to change my name because you didn't want anyone to associate me with you? Well, I'm glad I didn't change my name. I am proud of you and I am proud to be your son. I lost it. So much so that it was unusable. But we said, do it again right away. Don't cut tape. Just do it again. And I was able to manage the emotion and it was still there. People said, how did you work up the emotion for those father-son scenes? I said, the problem wasn't working up the emotion. The problem was not letting the emotion run away with you so that you're up there having a wonderful masturbatory experience and the audience is going, God, I wish you'd leave room for me. <laughs> true, true. Because I think, you know, somebody told me once, if you're doing a scene where you have to, you know, cry, you should think of not crying because most people don't want to cry and they end up crying. So you're really trying not to cry. And that is what really affects people, I think. I think that sort of reaction. What were the lines? Like, yeah, go ahead. It's like playing drunk. Yeah. You know, people who are drunk are trying not to look drunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mostly, most often, unless you're really obnoxious, you know. Hey, what were the lines? What were the lines they gave you? Do you remember? Which ones? The one that I had not heard? Yes. The ones that I said. Oh, those. That was. Those were the ones he was telling ah. me. Well, see, that hit me on a number of levels because our show went one season and I knew that they might want to cut ties with the past in order to have a present and a future show that hopefully would be as big a commercial success as creative success, which is what I hoped for Grant. And, uh, and when he lit into those words, you remember when you wanted me to change my name because you didn't want anyone to associate with me with you. Well, I am glad that I didn't change my name. I'm proud of you and I'm proud to be your son. Then is Grant talking to John? Is new flash talking to old flash? Right. Or is Barry talking to his dad? It all collided. Right. That's pretty amazing. Do you do you when you look back? Did you think that uh, Dawson's Creek was going to be a hit right right away? From I did. The, you did. I did. Why is because that? Because I didn't do the pilot presentation. I was off in Moab, Utah, for five weeks doing the Lost Treasure of Dos Santos with David Carradine, Lee Majors, Kathy Lee Cross, wow. and Michelle Green. <laughs> wow, it's a movie that you will never see. <laughs> I don't know. I but, might now. Um, they decided to go a different way with the dad after right. the pilot presentation and after it was picked up. Um, don't feel bad for that actor because the next thing I know, I'm sitting in a movie with Al Pacino and he's, so I got Dawson speak. He got the movie with Al Pacino. Okay. So but, I don't um, Well, the a TV show lasts longer than the movie. A movie is kind of there and it's gone. It's true. But I, they had me watch it, the pilot presentation. And I knew immediately and we forget this uh, because it became such a pop cultural phenomenon. We forget how unusual it was at the beginning to have a show in which the kids 
we're talking like that. We're dealing emotionally and internally with issues and trying to express them in a vocabulary that very few kids had. I remember a big star said to Kevin Williamson one time, kids don't talk like that. And without hesitation, he shot back. Maybe not, but they'd like to. So it was Wilmington, North Carolina. The Creek was an actual character in the show, the waters of that, you know, uh, uh, southeastern coastal waterway town. And the issues that they were dealing with, I mean, people forget it was the critically acclaimed Dawson's Creek the first couple of seasons. Sure. Oh, yeah. And I knew immediately, I thought, wow, this is special. And then I talked to Kevin Williamson and he said, I promise I won't turn you into... I'm going to say the name of the show because that sounds disparaging. A certain kind of TV parent. He said, you will have real subsidiary, but independent storylines that intersect with and inform what the kids are going through. You won't just be mom and dad in the kitchen saying, have a good day at school. Right. You know? And he was as good as his word, you know, because there were, whew, there were, there were some really intense episodes yeah i even watched it i remember watching i couldn't help but watch it i had to watch that show and i mean i ended up working with josh in a movie called urban legend but did you did you get along with everybody i mean obviously you worked with james a little more right yeah 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 i worked with james the most it was interesting to see these young actors and i think we were we benefited from being in north carolina out of the glare of la you know because these uh, young actors went from relative unknowns to, I mean, superstardom, and their faces on the covers of all these magazines that fast, right. you know, and uh, to watch the way they handled it. I mean, it was, I mean, I remember James, when he signed his first autograph, had to go tell Mary Margaret Humes about it. She played his mom. Right, right. And when his movie Varsity Blues came out, his parents weren't in town, so we asked Mary Margaret and I to go with him to see it. Wow. So that is you know, pretty damn cool. So he asked his TV parents to go with him to the premiere for Varsity Blues. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty damn sweet. Now I bet Isn't his parents awesome? were upset. They're like, we would have come. <laughs> Jesus. Well, it wasn't the it wasn't the premiere, but it was <laughs> right. a showing right. in in North Carolina, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was very very sweet, but it was also interesting to watch. You work with Josh, you know. Josh has a very different way of working from James, who at that time was very cerebral, you know, very very emotionally logical. I mean, uh, I was watching this young man. Of course, he had worked with uh, uh, oh God Edward Albee as a playwright on a play. So, I mean, he's, he had, he knew the work and, and he would have notes after a script read through. And some people were offended by that, but Kevin Williamson, and I found this with writers and producers who are really secure. He was open to the notes. He said, yeah, but 98% of the time he's right. Wow. You know? Yeah. So, um, but it was really interesting. And in the, in the lives of those young people to see how what they were playing on screen was mirroring what was happening off camera, you know? 
What do you mean? And, uh, what do you mean? Uh, I don't know how to say any more about Well, they were, some of them were seeing each other, right? Yeah. And they'd break up and then they'd get together in different, co- you know. Was that hard on set? Was it? Was there like some stuff that went on? I have a feeling that by fourth, fifth, sixth season, a combination of things happened. Number one, they were getting all these other offers. Right. They wanted to make the leap to what was next. And whatever character conflicts, personalities, different way of working, accommodations that they had to make to work with each other uh, began to really grind on, to irritate them. So I was very happy to leave (laughs) in, I think it was the fourth or fifth episode of the fifth season, you know, where my character died (laughs) eating an ice cream cone, which was kind of hilarious (laughs) because I was known as the ice cream man on set on, devoured ice cream anytime they were right. there but uh were you upset when you died with you did, did kevin call you and said hey this is gonna be it kevin was gone by that point ah kevin was gone he left after season two and greg berlanti came in as for a while and then um but i knew after season four that there was going to be a shift because the kids were going to go to college and they would leave the creek. And sure enough, at the end of season four, they let all the adults' contracts lapse. And they asked us for six episodes instead of 19. And I thought, this has been such a rich and wonderful experience. You know, I I don't I don't want to go back and be holding the new baby Lily and waving at parents' day. You know, I just didn't want it to turn into that. Um, And so I set my price really high, expecting that they wouldn't meet it. And everybody went to start season five, and I was fine. I was in L.A. I had four great seasons under my belt. I felt ready to move forward. And uh, I think during the filming of the first or second episode, uh, the WB shut them down because they didn't have any story. And, and. Paul Stupin called me in LA producer and said, can I have coffee with you? And so I said, sure. I I figured something was up. And he said that here's the deal. And so we were wondering if you would come back. We know you've been a little bit unhappy the last season or two with the diminishing role the parents were taking. But if we, if we promise you two great scripts and the money you're asking, will you come back? Okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and kill the character. <gasps> <laughs> it's like, but they were as good as their word. Again, those are two of my favorite, favorite episodes. And they, it was such a respectful and affectionate farewell to a character. I couldn't imagine. It really validated. It really made me feel that the previous four years had been about something special. Right. You know, and so I felt that it ended exactly the right way for everybody. It gave James, it propelled him to therapy. They made it so there was an incident I won't go into it. He was responsible for what I went out to do when I was killed in the car accident. You know, uh, Mary Margaret had all of the parental duties instead of splitting them. Right. 
scenes. And she played those scenes so wonderfully, the, the, the funeral. And, and then I had a Six Feet Under episode where I came back and I did visited visitations with all the kids and sort of wrapped up my relationships right. in the long goodbye, it was called. So, yeah, no, it felt exactly right. Do you think it's, uh, do you remember the the first time you were told that you're going to play or you're going to audition for a parent or someone like, because you go from this transition of like, I still feel young, I'm young, I'm young. And then they're like, oh, you're going to be the parent of this in this audition. Oh, I'm going in for do the dad know, now. Do you remember that first dad role? No. Only reason I do is because somebody else, my first dad was in 1989 playing, uh, 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 Barney Bucks in Never Ending Story 2, Father of <laughs> Sebastian. So I started playing dads nine years into my professional career. Wow. At the age How old of 30, 30. You know, 30, 89. I was born in 55. So I was 30, what, 4, 34, 35. Um, and I didn't think anything of it until people were like, oh, particularly Dawson's, oh, are you going to be okay playing a dad? I'm like, why wouldn't I be, <laughs> you know, is it a good part? Yeah. You know, and I've played superheroes and psychopaths ever since. Yeah. You know? Where do you, do you keep in touch with anybody from Dawson's? Mary Margaret. That's and about I've it. Done appearances with Mary Margaret Humes. And I did a pilot in Chicago with Katie Holmes. Holmes yeah. Um, what was that? 2018. Um, where she was an FBI agent, but it, it didn't go. We thought it was going to go, but it... So she didn't invite you to the uh, Tom Cruise wedding when they got married? No. <laughs> you weren't married to that? You and Tom could have jumped around on the couch together? It could have been a, just a, a real treat. No, uh, no. By the way, you went to Indiana University, and you went to high school in Louisville. I grew up in Indiana and went to college at Western Kentucky University. The, oh, did you really? So yeah. we 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 flopped, we swapped. You went to smarter schools though. Oh no, I'm, I I love Western Kentucky, but I got I got Western in. Kentucky. West the Hilltoppers, the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky. Oh yeah. All right, so this is called uh Shit Talking with John Wesley Ship, or I could change it to oh. Ship Talking that for this with particular John Wesley, Right. We won't do. <laughs> so these are questions, these are questions from my fellow patrons who um love you and they they get to ask questions. So uh, here we go. Steph A, is Flash your personal favorite superhero or is there someone else you like more? Um, well, I, you know, I have to, hats off, uh, Tim Burton's Batman and The Flash were being developed at Warner Brothers at the same time around a new uh, aesthetic for presenting these superheroes, dark brooding we went darker with flash than the flash really is in fact carmen infantino who drew the flash groused at one point he said ah they make the flash so dark flash not supposed to be that dark everything's all shot at night and all the streets are wet you know but but we felt we had to do that because we had to ground it in some grit to have people take it seriously so i would say if i had another favorite it would be batman you know yeah Betsy D says, are you excited to be reprising the role of Jay Garrick? And I know I'm thrilled to see you again on Stargirl. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jay Garrick is the role 
you know, when they asked me to come back and get back in a new version of the 1990s suit for Elseworlds and then Crisis in 2018, I was like, are you out of your minds? I'm like, you know, that was 28 years ago, right? But I think we pulled it off. But Jay is the character that I feel is the appropriate part for me to play now because in the comics, he's really in his 90s, but he was exposed to age-reversing chemicals, which lands him in his mid-late 50s. Right. So that's the character that I enjoy exploring. Second, Henry Allen was still my favorite. Ryan, I mean, you're a big... Ryan's my engineer. He's here. You Have you seen most episodes of The Flash? Uh, uh, no, no. You've seen a lot of them, though. I have seen a lot, yes. And uh, do you want to ask John a question? Come on, you got to have something for him. Oh, He's geez. like, no. I don't. <laughs> um, how's a? No, he. I'll get it. Watch this. Uh, how how's Grant Gustin as a human being? Good question. He was on this podcast. I could tell you, but he's. Uh, but you work with him closely. So how is that? Yeah, I have to say it was one of the. As I've already said, it was one of the most rewarding experiences because people always ask me what what grant is like but grant works from his truth so what you see uh there's there's a fun there's a spark and there's an exquisite vulnerability um and a real dedication to trying whether it's a superhero context or whether it's one of his independent films whatever it is to treat it like we're trying to get to the truth of something here and let's work together. And he does get irritated if someone is not on that wavelength. If someone's him. not taking this seriously or someone's not on. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I, I, I ran into this when I went back to daytime in 2010 for four months. I mean, people walking the halls going, but. So proper job and i'm like that will kill that attitude will kill anything you have to offer any creative impulse you might have that attitude will kill it yeah people say what's your favorite role you've ever done i said the one i'm doing right now whatever it is is my favorite and whether it's daytime tv when the audience had shrunk considerably by 2010 we were having 22 million viewers a week in the early 80s by 2010 it was like maybe 1 million viewers an episode but whether it was that or the tony award-winning play on broadway or primetime or the drug addicted cop on nypd blue are running around at my age in a superhero suit <laughs> whatever it is it's that moment that's my favorite wow that's a great answer. Leanne P. Love the episodes where Mark Hamill guest starred back on The Flash. Uh, any fun memories you have about him that would you, you would like to share? Because he's a character. Mark, Mark was really helpful to me because I've already told you I was very reticent to go into a superhero suit. So I was like, I don't want to have any lines in the suit. I don't want any B-roll in the suit. I don't want to have the cow back and have like, you know, eat that. Uh, Hostess Twinkie and drinking a Diet Coke. I don't want to turn into a mascot. Right. So I was pretty stiff. Well, here comes Mark as the trickster. You know, balls to the wall. Oh, yeah. No whole, I mean, just total 100% commitment. And I'm like, well, if Mark Hamill 
can commit to that degree, then I need to get over my bad self. You know, and I think by the last episode of the show, The Trial of the Trickster, when he's mind controlling the Flash, I was able, you know, I'm catching bullets from the police and throwing bullets back at the police, which we could never do today. Um, And knocking over parking meters and, you know, being his sidekick, I was actually able to relax and have some fun. But in the new show, he comes back as the trickster in the new show and we go to earth three and he's shooting bullets at a bank robbery and I'm catching them in my helmet and I show him the bullets in my helmet. And I say, you're out of bullets. And he opens his coat and he's wired with a bomb. And he says, yeah, but I'm not out of bombs. And our faces are this close <laughs> and they yell cut. And he says, we're grownups. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Raj says, is there a moment in your career you can point to as the time where you felt you had achieved success in the industry? Now, this is a tough question because, you know, that moment that's good enough that you felt like I have made it and whatever happens afterwards or the downs, the ups, the downs. But, you know, I, I think about that sometimes. But uh, how would you answer that? Um, it's, an, it's, a, it's a process of it's, it, it rolls out, right? Because I started in daytime. Uh, I remember when I won the first Emmy for good guy going to a psychopath, Douglas Cummings, opposite Julianne Moore, was my leading lady. Um, I remember Jane Elliott. Do you know Jane? Jane Elliott, actress. She she had said to me, because she had an Emmy on General Hospital, she said, well, you have your Emmy now. You have nothing left to prove. I was like, boy, I can't wrap my head around that. I have constantly things to prove. And then I got a primetime show that I was at the center of, and that was a lot to prove, you know? And then there was a completely 180-degree opposite character on NYPD Blue, a lot to prove. And then theater, every step of the way. And then once you've established yourself, I was going to say made it, but you never make it. Then... You have to prove if you're still interesting and relevant. In other words, am I going to show up on the set of The Flash in the Flash 90 costume and everyone's going to go, when's lunch? Hmm. You know? Now, as it turned out, everyone was so invested in the comics that Grant was like, this is the coolest thing we've ever done, you know? And and uh, and uh, the, the executive producers were, I mean, they really uh, enjoyed it. But no, you never... I never, you never feel, what about you? I think, you know, when I hear that question, it's, it's, it's weird how my, where my mind goes. I think, hey, you had a lot of success. You had fun. You made some money. You made people happy. If I, if I died right now, I'd be like, hey, I had success. That was, I mean, what level of success? There's millions of levels. I mean, I could say, I'm not going to be successful until I win an Oscar. Or I'm not going to be right. successful because then you're going to be chasing even past that Oscar. It's just not. It's not. It's not tangible. You have to find something inside of you that really, you know. You have to be proud of yourself. You have to, you know. I'm I'm learning to be proud of myself. Learning to love yourself. And I think that that's how you kind of figure it out. And you go, what is success? Well, I've had success. Look at what you've done. Instead of trying to chase something that you think is going to give you, you know, happiness. So it's a t- it's a tough question for me. That's where my mind goes. So I think that's healthy. It's something that I 
as I've gotten older, have had to practice. You know, I've had to practice remembering that over the course of a 40-year career, I've gotten to do things that have been really incredible. And I've worked with wonderful people and I've contributed honestly and sincerely to the best of my ability at the time in, in whatever project. I've, I love the Halfway Through David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. He does a reassessment of his life. And one of his great achievements, he says, is never to have put one hand onto something onto which I could throw my entire self. And that sort of has been... Ever since I read that, that's been my mantra. Wow. Enthusiasm. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, say that again. Never to put one hand to something, on something, onto which I could throw my entire self. Isn't that something? That, and this ties into what I said about soaps, never to affect a depreciation of any work that I was given to do, whatever it was have been the hallmarks of my life. He goes wow. on to say something like that. But those two statements. That's awesome. That is awesome. Big Stevie W, last question. What's the one thing you have yet to accomplish, but is high on the bucket list for you? Is there anything that you're like, you know, I'd like to do that. You know, I think this goes back to managing expectations. You know, I mean, Things seem to appear when I'm ready to do them. You know what I mean? Whether it's the powder burns, the wonderful project David Gregory uh, did where we won uh, an award, the Soviet Award for a radio drama where I'm all grizzled sheriff and Ed Asner was on it. and so, Or there's a wonderful play that David has written about the lifelong friendship of Henry Fonda and Jimmy Stewart, despite vast political differences, which I didn't realize or know about the extent of, and romantic rivalries. And it's called Hank and Jim Build a Plane because every Sunday they get together and they build model airplanes, whether they were speaking, whether they were fighting over politics, whether Jimmy was talking potentially to the House on American Activities or Jane was going to Hanoi. Whatever it was, and it becomes a metaphor for how do we cobble together and stay in relationship with people with whom we have vast ideological differences. So if ever there was a valuable message for today, and that was the play that we workshopped in New Orleans. Right. We have a Jack Batman and, 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 and Bruce uh, at Sunny Spot. Um, uh, uh, shepherding that project. Well, there are multiple Tony award-winning producers, Broadway producers. So, and that was interrupted for a year because of COVID, but we hope to get that back on track this coming winter. So other than wanting to continue to play a variety of interesting people, I don't necessarily care where it is. You know, one of the most rewarding recent experiences I've had was doing 12 Angry Men at uh, at the uh, Judson Theater Playhouse in Pinehurst, North Carolina, you know, working with the best juror number three I will ever see. And the two of us going up against each other, you know, wow. and uh, doing it 
for there was like I think a Morehouse uh, scholarship thing, five high schools where they bought them to play, and they studied it according to the Constitution and what of the Bill of Rights issue was being brought up all through Twelve Angry Men. Interesting now that I'm playing Henry Fonda in Hank and Jim, but and they were right there with us. They didn't miss a beat. That's amazing. And at the end, they were, you know, that is as rewarding yep. to me as any high-profile project I've ever done. Yeah, isn't that something? So as long as there are interesting parts, and I don't drive myself too crazy, but it's, <laughs> it's you said it, you said it, and it's a practice. I have to practice reminding myself that there, that I have contributed. Yeah in meaningful ways in a variety of on a variety of platforms yeah and am i an a-listener absolutely not oh yeah I, i'm still believe I me i'm working on this i yeah. think you without a doubt have and i think it's also you have to practice that for me i'm trying to practice of just enjoy this you said it in the very beginning of the podcast you said i'm here with you I'm just enjoying this moment with you. If I yeah. could learn how to do that more where I'm just with my dog or I'm just with my friends or now it's work or now I'm, if I could just enjoy instead of going through the motions or going through these moments, trying to get to the next moment, I'm, I'm missing everything. So I, that's what I'm, I'm working on. Believe me, it's a work in fucking progress, brother. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but look, this has been a real treat. I'm glad you, you don't do a lot of podcasts, huh? No, no, not many. I have done some, but you know, this I mean, is great. It's like I tell people at conventions, my Q and A's. I'm like, if you've been to a couple of my Q and A's before, <laughs> I apologize. There are only so many answers before I start making shit up. So <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, I love it. Well, this was great. I, I really got to. We kind of went over a lot of things, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's been. Great. It's been great. I feel like I got to know you in this hour, and I really, yeah. I really appreciate this. And I can't wait to to give you a hug at a con because I am vaxxed now. Are you vaxxed? Fantastic. Me too. We're gonna hug it totally. out. And if Absolutely. you're doing a play, if you're doing something, if I'm near, you just gotta let me know when you're doing it. If I'm close, I want to come see you perform. I'd love to see you as Henry Fonda. Excellent. It'd be Excellent. awesome. I'll let you know. Absolutely. Right. We'll give Grant my love and everybody on the Flash and. uh all my best to you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. All right, John. Bye. Bye. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Um, I really enjoyed his interview. I thought he was very open. I was surprised. He was nice. It was really cool to hear about his uh, his journey. His adventure with Mark Hamill yeah. and just his his journey and how he gets in his head. And uh, Again, I like when, when guests open up. Uh, thank you. Make sure you uh, follow us if you like the show. At Inside You Podcast on the uh, Facebook and Instagram, at Inside You Pod on the Twitter. If you want to join the lovely Patreon to help the podcast even more, I'd be delighted. I'll send you a message right after. It's patreon.com slash inside of you. And um, a lot of great guests coming up. A lot of great guests coming up. Uh, I've been working hard to get you good guests. And uh, I do the best I can. Fuck, Ryan. I just do the best I can. I, I, I get guests that, you know, I can get. Or I have to work at, but I still get, and you know, people seem to be pretty happy. They always have their requests and, you know, they email over at hello at, at inside of you podcast.com and they leave messages, which I check here and there. Uh, not that often, but I get your messages and sometimes I can write back. Sometimes I don't, but don't, don't think I haven't read your stuff and I appreciate you listening and 
and uh, taking your time to write me. And uh, sometimes they're really long emails. So if I just say, hey, thanks so much for this, I read it. I just didn't write another novel back <laughs> to you. So I, I thank you. Um, yes, why don't we get into the top tier patrons? These are the people who really uh, help the podcast in the, uh, help the podcast a great deal. They they really do, and uh, I don't know if I could do this without them. Thank you to Cumulus. Thank you for Ryan for being my madman over here. Thanks for Jason. Jason's uh, taking over editing for you because you've been busy as hell. Jason has taken over the editing, and uh, he's doing a great job. And you're and you're I th- and I thank him for doing that. Jason, we love you, man. Thank you so much for doing this, and uh, keep up the great work. Everybody give Jason a shout-out. And Bryce, Bryce, who really does a lot of uh, social media and tries to get the podcast out there. It's a great team, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Let's do the uh, top patrons. Here we go. Nancy. D. Leah. <laughs> Shit. S. Trisha. F. Sarah. V. Little. Lisa. You. Kiko. Jill. E. Brian. A. Mama. Lauren. G. Nico. P. Jerry. Uh, w. Robert. Uh, B. No. I. It's L. It's, I think it's an L. Oh, no, it's an I. Is it an I? Yeah, is it, it's just no, a long, long, skinny one? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's an I. It is? Yeah. It is an I. You're yeah. right. Jason. Uh, W. Apothe and Kristen K, Amelia O, Allison L, Raj, Joshua D, Emily S, CJ P, Samantha M, Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jen S, Jamal F, Janelle B, Carrie B, Tab of the 272, not to be confused with Tab of the 273, Kimberly E, Mike E, Eldon Supremo, 99 more, Ramira, Santiago M, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, Janine uh, R. Yes, Maya P, Maddie S, Shannon D, Belinda N, Kevin V, James uh vanderbeek r r all right <laughs> vanderbeek chris h dave h sheila g brad d ray h tap of the t liliana a michelle okay yes michael s talia m it's it's harder when i go randomly like this it is betsy d claire m laura l chad l rochelle that rhyme chad l rochelle nathan e marion meg k janelle p trav l wow dan n lorraine g carrie B H Veronica K Big Stevie W Kendall T Angel M Rhiannon C Yes Corey K Super Sam Coleman G Deb Nexon Michelle A Liz L Liz I Liz I Liz I Liz I Liz I Jeremy C Andy T Cody R Sebastian K Gavinator Ann H David C Elliot M John B Brandy D What Yavor Yavor Camille S Bont Jovi Bono. Oh, Bono. Urbano. Mm. Bono. The Chief. Joey M. Willie F. Christina E. Adelaide N. Um, I thank you guys all from the bottom of my hearts. And if I ever send you a box for the top tier patrons and you don't get it, it gets sent back to me and then I have to figure out the right address because something happened. And you know what sucks? Is usually I have to pay again to ship this box and if it's overseas, but sometimes the address is not right or it gets like messed around for two months and then it gets sent back. First world problems, man. First world problems. Hey, I thank you for listening to the podcast. I thank you for uh, allowing me to get inside of you guys each and every day. Uh, you guys mean a lot to me, and uh, I like doing this thing, so hopefully we'll keep it going. And I appreciate all the feedback and all the love that you guys share constantly with me. And uh, Ryan. Yeah. Love you, buddy. Love you, too. From Michael Rosenbaum. From Ryan Tez. Here in the- Hollywood Hills. Hollywood Hills of California. California. 
What's up, guys? Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you. And uh, until next week, let's uh, let's be healthy. Let's rock it out and uh, uh, bring some friends along to listen to the podcast, will you? All right. Thanks. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.